Hello everyone, Rob Gesser on Football.London here and welcome to the latest episode of Gold and Guest Talk Tottenham, sponsored by NordVPN. Premier League football is back and Tottenham managed a 2-2 draw against Brentford on Boxing Day. We'll be discussing what happened in West London and then also looking ahead to the New Year's Day clash against Aston Villa. Alistair Gold joining me as ever. Ali, have you had a good Christmas? Yeah, Good one, thank you very much. Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas to all the listeners. We're back. Tottenham Hotspur are back. It's exactly the same Tottenham Hotspur we left <laughs> before the World Cup break. They seem to have decided to come back in exactly the same fashion. Um, but Antonio Conte has been saying plenty of interesting things in the last week or so that we can also delve into, as well as this 2-2 draw at Brentford, which bore every hallmark of the matches that came before, the eight matches that came before, pretty much. Um, yeah, where to start? Where should we start? Where would you like to start? Shall we start with uh, the starting eleven and the match day squad? Obviously, because yeah. I think that was a bit of a major talking point. Uh, an hour ahead of the game, Antonio Conte was obviously always expected to make a few changes here and there with uh, his World Cup players only returning. Some of them only a few days ahead of the match. Some of them not even returned yet. Christian Romero, obviously, following Argentina's World Cup final success. And I think the major talking point was probably uh, on the bench, and it was no Jed Spence in the match they squad at all. Uh, Ali, obviously, you were at the GTEC Community Stadium on Boxing Day. What did you make of that? decision first of all well I mean my first thought was was because Spence Skip and Son the three S's had all been um, had a fever and I know there'd been some stomach issues in the camp as well presumably some kind of bug that had been going around Um, and those three players had missed a bit of training earlier in the week so my first thought was okay Spence is not great so that's why they haven't really kind of pushed him uh, to be in the on the bench but then he was there. He was, you know, when you have, we used to call it like, was it the 18th man or 19th man? He used to be called, whereas it's not now because there's a million substitutes. Uh, essentially, he was there with Alfie Devine and Brandon Austin as those young, pretty much normally academy players who are there in case of emergencies like injury or illness to the starting 11 or anyone on the bench. So to have him there in that respect kind of makes me think he was okay to play. Um, yeah, it was a shame because obviously he did miss the third friendly against Nice, but in the previous two he'd been very good. Um, had shown a lot of kind of bright qualities that we really want to see him doing in the first team. But yeah, not to be involved at all was obviously another trigger for unhappy fans. Um, but for me, the biggest decision of all, I think, was Jaffet Tanganga being in there. Um which I was trying to kind of understand the logic behind it. And my thinking was, I was trying to put my head into Antonio Conte's head uh, space. And my only logic I could think of is obviously you didn't have Romero. Um, and in the all three friendlies, Jaffet was playing on the right-hand side of the back three with Davinson Sanchez playing in the centre. So my thinking was there was some continuity there. And he was thinking, okay, well, he's played three in a row there. Let's just keep rolling and uh, keep him there. My other thinking was perhaps he offered a little bit more thrust than Davinson Sanchez would getting down the right-hand side to support Matt Doherty. So I was like, okay, that's my thinking. 
But there was another part of me that was thinking, Jafet Tanganga hasn't played a Premier League match in 11 months. <laughs> he hasn't. I mean, this all he's played in the last seven, uh, 11 months in terms of competitive first-team football was those 17 minutes against Marseille. So to throw a 23-year-old back into a team against one of the Premier League's most informed strikers in Ivan Tony, it's a bit like... Even at the time, I wouldn't say it was a hindsight thing. I think even at the time, it was a bit like, oh, that's a big call to chuck him into that situation. Um, I know people have their concerns about Davinson Sanchez, but for me... Slightly more physical player, maybe would have handled uh, Davinson. Uh, sorry, ha- handed Tony a little bit better. I mean, I guess, I guess the proof was there. As soon as Davinson Sanchez came on, I felt Spurs looked more solid defensively, and ironically, he was getting forward and contributing a bit more as well. He even had a shot on goal. Um, so yeah, for me, I think that was quite a key decision, and I think Conte got it wrong. Um, I'm sure you know. Any manager makes a decision; it can be proved wrong or right afterwards. But yeah, I, I didn't didn't get the logic of that one. I felt it was a big step for Jaffet. He's had this knee problem, which has kind of dogged him all year. Really, uh, his twenty twenty two has just been almost a write off. Really, um, and I appreciate that. I think Conte does like him, and he was talking in a week about hoping he was now over this knee injury, and he's a very versatile player don't think this was the way to bring him back. It was too sudden for me. And you're playing against a guy who is constantly moving, uses his strength, is absolutely bursting with confidence on the pitch. Obviously, we don't know what's going to happen off the pitch, but on the pitch, he's absolutely flying right now. So, yeah, it was a big call. And unfortunately, I don't think it worked. Right, yeah. Uh, For me, obviously, I wasn't at the game on Boxing Day. Uh, So when I saw the team, I was quite surprised. Tanganga was in the starting 11, as as you've said. 17 minutes of football in the Champions League this season. Didn't even uh, come on in the Carabao Cup game uh, against Nottingham Forest. So yeah, obviously that's a big shot, just throwing him straight into the starting 11. But... Having watched two of the three friendlies, I don't think Davinson Sanchez really covered himself in glory in some of them. He looks certainly shaky at times. I can remember in the first one against Motherwell where I think he lost lost the ball on the halfway line, gifted Motherwell uh, a bit of an opening. And then in the game against Nice last Wednesday, a couple of times on the ball, very shaky in possession. So maybe that played a part in uh, Antonio Conte's thinking. And we've seen it before, obviously, when Tanganga came on against Marseille in the Champions League. I think a lot of people at the time were thinking, you know, what on earth is going on here? We need a goal. Why is another mm-hmm. defender coming on? And it's basically because Tanganga can get forward. So maybe you can understand that with no Romero. But then didn't Sanchez show exactly that against Leeds last game uh, before we went on the six-week break? So I think for me, maybe it was Sanchez's form maybe played a part in it. Uh, but yeah. obviously, thankfully, Christian Romero is coming back now and he, he should be back in the team against Aston Villa. Uh, for me, on the Jed Spence one, again, probably... A bit surprised he wasn't in the match they squad, given how well he played uh, in the Motherwell game. What we saw, we didn't manage to see the Peterborough one, but reading the match report on the website, it sounded like it had a, another impact 
again, going forward in the final third, played his part in, I think, one of the goals. So certainly surprised he wasn't in. But then again, on the other side, there have been a number of occasions this season where he has been left out of the squad. So not so much of a surprise there. But I think when you look at the options available to Conte, obviously nine substitutes, you don't really need two right wing backs on the bench. You need two centre-backs, one right wing-back, one left wing-back. You need two central midfielders and two attackers. Now, Tottenham were short on attackers with uh, Lucas still injured, Richarlison. So Brian Hill takes one of those places. Antonio Conte was saying, I think after the Nice game, about Harvey White, that he can play anywhere really. He operated in that front three. So that's your, your next attacking option. Pape, Matassar and Oliver Skip, your central uh, midfielders. So, yeah, maybe it was just a case of we don't need two right wing backs. So, Jed Spence, yeah, obviously you're not in the squad. But then again, Ryan Sessignon's not really been fit, has he? Because, he, I mean, he didn't no. come on against Nice in that friendly. So, maybe you could say, well, since you're not clearly match fit, maybe you have this game out. Matt Doherty can cover at left wing back. Ben Davies can cover at left wing back as well. Uh, so, yeah, it's just unfortunate for Jed Spence. Just hopefully we see him back in the match day squad soon. Yeah, I mean, if we don't see him against Villa, then it's one of those classic Conte young player situations where you think, okay, so you've done some good stuff for me, but you get absolutely no reward from it. The other thing I would say is that. <sighs> I think it got proved, of course it's a hindsight thing, but it got proved on the day that Matt Doherty, despite having a fantastic little run of friendlies, was very quiet on the day. He didn't really impact. I think defensively he did quite well. I think he won most of his aerial duels. I saw some kind of stat where he was winning a lot of those. But in terms of getting forward and being a threat, he wasn't really doing that. Weirdly, maybe he's just got too used to playing on the left recently (laughs) where he's had a real impact. Um, But... Conte had, in his mind, I reckon, no game changes. You know, both of his substitutions were centre-backs. So I think if he'd had Jed Spence on there, I think that would have been a game-changing attacking substitution he could have made. He could have brought on um, Jed Spence for Matt Doherty, pushed Spurs up a bit further down the right, because he didn't bring on Emerson. So clearly even he thought, right, well, Emerson's not going to give us more of an attacking thrust down there. But when he clearly didn't trust Brian Hill to come on, he clearly didn't trust Harvey White to come on, despite saying all the nice things he said about him. Um, Jed Spence probably would have been an attacking option that he could have had. But, you know, he, he may well say tomorrow, oh, Jed Spence was a, you know, a little bit under the weather and still we didn't feel he was quite 100%. That's what he may come out with, which would probably clear it up a bit more. Um, but, yeah, for me, it was just unfortunate. Yeah, shall we discuss Brentford's goals? Because I think they certainly need uh, delving into really. So they weren't the best ones to concede, were they? Uh, yeah. Let's start with the first one with uh, Vitali Janelt scoring. Uh, where does the blame lie on that one then? In a few places, really. I just must say, because I keep forgetting, I forgot to put this in my article as well after the game, my, my main talking points. The pitch was not very good. I kind of forgot to mention this. Apparently, they had rugby there a few days before, a couple of days before Christmas, um, and the pitch was really cut up. Look, I'm not saying that's an excuse or anything because both sides had to deal with it, but 
I did notice that as soon as I got there. It's like, oh, this doesn't really look like a top quality Premier League pitch right now. Um, and whether that played a part to, you know, passing not being particularly great and things like that, I don't know. But in terms of the first goal, and it certainly wasn't an excuse for the first goal. First goal for me, the initial blame uh, would lie with, I think the ball was lost up the pitch. I'm trying to think. Was it the first goal? It's either the first goal or the second goal. I think Sonny might have lost it up the pitch. Either way, they, they swept forward very, very quickly and caught Spurs off guard a little bit. Then you had Basuma and Hoybier just watching nothing in particular. Uh, and Yanel was able to just kind of meander between them and end up completely unmarked in the box. Um, and then was it, I think it was Jensen got down the right, had the initial shot. Um, it's a difficult one, that. I saw a lot of people on Twitter instantly going for Fraser Forster, who was obviously making his first competitive start for Spurs. I felt at the time, and also having watched it back a few times, it was slightly harsh. I mean, the shot takes a deflection off of Longley. Uh, it comes at him quite quickly. It changes course. He just tries it. It's almost like a reaction save, and he pushes it out. I mean, yes, of course, a goalkeeper in an ideal world pushes it far left or right. He doesn't push it forwards. But when it's a reaction save, it's a little bit more, I guess, just get whatever you can on it. And he's not to think that the two midfielders neither has bothered to track a player and left him completely unmarked in front of him. So, yeah, I'd say there's a there's a bit all round there in terms of, of blame. Um, I think just the most annoying thing is it just continues that stat. Nine matches in a row now that Spurs have conceded first. I mean, that's it's disgusting. It is. I asked Conte afterwards about that. <clears throat> and honestly, he grimaced. He kind of laughed, like, smiled a bit like maniacally. <laughs> so I feel like, I don't know what I'm doing or what to do about this. Um, and he put his hands through his hair. Before he even started speaking, he went through the whole range of emotions um, because it's pathetic. It is. It's really pathetic. It's like these players, whatever you think of them, they're not that poor that nine games in a row they should be conceding the first goal. And he is a coach who coached some of the best defences in the game. So he should be able to coach them to be stronger mentally than that. Um, Spurs just do this, don't they? They get stuck in a rut of, it's almost like a psychological thing, a belief thing. We had it last season with the win-loss, win-loss, win-loss that went on for ages. And there was no real rhyme or reason for it. And now it's almost like it's squeezed into 45-minute periods. So like win-loss, win-loss in halves. Um, And again, you know, Boxing Day, rubbish first half really good second half um like night and day and i i don't know i don't know whether you i mean they surely have psycho like kind of coaches that work on psychology and stuff like that so i <laughs> i don't understand um from a psychological aspect how that's happening it's just it's just so poor it is really really poor and i think that was the biggest thing for me was coming back from a break from, I think I said it was six weeks to work with the players. It technically wasn't, was it? They had two weeks off, and then obviously you would have got some back in, in stages. But a period of time to properly prepare for this game. And Brentford looked far, far more prepared. Um, so, yeah, that first goal was an absolute, just a horror show of different things going wrong in defence and midfield. Yeah, I, I wouldn't point the finger at Fraser Foster for that one, having 
watched it back. Obviously, it takes a bit of a deflection. He's coming at him at pace, and like you said, it's just a, a reaction save, really. So he does well, obviously, to stop it from going in. But then you've got Vitali Janel, who I think just ran straight off the back of Pierre Mulhoiberg on the pose. No one following him at all, and just an easy, easy finish for him. What's a shame, and just as you were saying now, uh, just Tottenham going behind at half time and then managed to claw themselves back into gaming in the second half. It's certainly a a mental thing at the moment. You know, once or twice, maybe you can forgive them, but when it's been happening week after week, uh, some of the, they have to get to the bottom of it. I mean, they have come back in games, you know, Marseille, Bournemouth, Leeds. It's all right coming back against Bournemouth and Leeds, but what the given themselves an uphill task in obviously the games against Manchester United, Newcastle, Liverpool as well, prior to the international break. So it's something they need to get to the bottom of, especially because we're coming into the second part of the season now. Uh, this is the period where you need to be putting uh, a run of wins together because Manchester United are doing that at the moment. Newcastle just look unstoppable <laughs> at the moment. They're picking up the wind. Liverpool are coming into some form as well. So there's always someone who drops out of the top four race uh, in the final few months. Spurs just need to make sure it isn't them. Yeah, definitely. And look, it's it's one of these where I think there's been quite a bit of a disappointment after the game, despite the comeback. I think because we've kind of almost become um, accustomed to the comeback and we kind of expect it to come now, which isn't isn't right because it shouldn't always come. Um, but Brentford are a very good team. We're not talking about some relegation fodder that is absolutely making up the numbers. They've you know, been a really good team. Thomas Frank, I do think, is one of the – a fantastic coach. I think he's really good. And listening to him after the game in the press conference, he came out before Conte, he's a very interesting, engaging guy, and I can see why he's been a big success. Um, and, you know, this is a team that's beaten Man City away. They beat Man U early in the season. They drew with Chelsea and probably should have beaten them as well. So it's not like – it's difficult. We kind of, you don't want to go too hard in that respect because they they are a very good team and you've got to give them credit. In the first half, their movement was excellent. As Conte said afterwards, every time Spurs tried to press them, they just adapted their tactics, hit it long, and Tony was was mopping up the long ball and, and there for the outlet, uh, out ball every time. Um, but yeah, it's just the fact that it was a poor goal to concede. Second one was embarrassing. Um, Eric Dyer, this is the problem as well, is that Eric Dyer could have an absolutely fine performance, but if he's going to do a silly thing like that, where he goes to hit a clearance, slices it over his own head, no, he wasn't even near his own penalty area. I think it was about midway in the half. And he still managed to send it all the way back for a corner. Then, of course, from the corner, it's far too easy to get the flick on. I think it was Doherty didn't get close to his man. And then Clement Longley is a mile away from Tony at the back post. He's absolutely... He's, he's left, what, the third most feared striker in the Premier League right now to just steal in at the back post. It was such a poor goal. And I kind of thought at that point, was it about an hour in, maybe less? It's just like, oh, great. What was the point of coming back? <laughs> we should have stuck with a World Cup. <laughs> it was just, oh, no. I can just imagine all the headlines. I can imagine the fans on social media, where that was all going to go. 
Um, it was just poor. Oh, one other thing, just before I forget. Um, the other thing maybe he could have done defensively was the the lineup we saw in a couple of the games during that mad period. So technically, he could maybe have had Davies, Longley, and then Dyer on the right. But I think with Davies coming back from his abdominal injury, I think it's another one where it would have been a little bit of a push maybe to start them. Um, so I'm going to give him on that one. But, oh, my goodness, the defending was just – it was so poor. And, again, it's a set piece. So it's like Thomas Frank said afterwards, that they were obviously were really concerned about Spurs' set pieces because of the Gianni Vio. Essentially, they need a Gianni Vio for defensive set pieces. Um, what did someone call him? Viano. They need a Viani Geo or something. Someone told me the other day. They need the Reverso World version of him, um, the Bizarro version, because yeah, they're starting to become a real kind of strugglers. I think when it comes to defending uh, set pieces, and this was another one. They just looked so weak in it. The marking was poor. But again, I mean, what are you doing all week? Or what are you doing in the lead-up to this game? All three of those defenders all week would have been training ahead of this game. Um, I know Dyer obviously didn't start the match against Nice, but in the training sessions, he would have been there alongside, presumably, Tanganga and um, Longley, and they would have been drilled and drilled and drilled. Meant nothing on the day. And this is the problem. I think this is why the fans get so annoyed, especially with someone like Eric Dyer, is that Eric Dyer has so much ability for me to be a very good centre-back. And this is what, it's not just me, this is what Conte said, it's what Mourinho said, it's what Nuno probably said in the handful of words he told us. Um, And Potch certainly said it as well. Yet if he's going to switch off sometimes and have those moments where his brain just seems to shut down, just or go on to standby mode, just, just for a second, it's what undoes all of the other good work he does. And it's what people remember. And they'll just see him as an error-prone defender. He shouldn't be tired. Was it 33 minutes at the World Cup? That's it. There's no reason for him to be mentally fatigued. Um, And he needs to be the leader in that back line. And I would say Clement Longley doesn't get away with it. Clement Longley, incredible going forward, put in two beautiful crosses for Kane on the day. But at the back, I felt he was quite shaky as well. Uh, And Brentford gave him the runaround as well. So, yeah, it was... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> makes it all the more bewildering, which we're going to speak about in a bit, about Conte saying afterwards that he doesn't need a new centre-back. Um, which, for me, uh, I'd have to disagree, Antonio, but we'll talk about why he said that and there may be some differing reasons for why he said that. I think, for me, that second goal is just un- unforgivable, really. It's just, it's, <laughs> it is. It's, just, it's just basics. It's just your basics obviously follow your man. I mean, Norgard, absolute free header, acres of space, yeah. and then Tony, uh, exactly uh, the same. And, and I agree with you what you're saying on Eric Dyer. Uh, I think on the whole, when he has been playing at centre back, he's done really well. But he's just the odd couple of times in games, maybe where he switches off and there's a mistake, and that's what you know people uh, remember. Uh, but there have been a number of games where it has been really, really impressive, but it's just the odd moment sometimes what really lets down his defensive play was a real shame. Uh, so I think he covers for others, don't you? I yeah. think that's what he does. He tries to cover for other players that maybe he doesn't trust as much. 
And I think that's when he gets himself into all kinds of problems. I mean, that second goal wasn't really that, but he I saw some occasions he did that on Boxing Day. And I think if he hasn't got Romero alongside him, he's a bit like, oh, maybe I've got to go across to the right. And he gets him out of position for things that could come down where he should be. Um, and yeah, it's it's not going well for Eric Dyer at the moment. He's kind of lost all the momentum for me that he was building up pre that mad rush. Start of the season, I thought he was very good. I thought last season he had a very consistent season as well. Um, but the fans and well, and Conte, and it's there on the pitch. You you're just kind of wiping out all of your good work when you do something stupid. Yeah, definitely. Two nil, such a strange scoreline in football uh, it's just if another team scores then just the momentum just totally swings and I think the other team starts to panic a bit and I think once you always get one goal back there's a really good chance you get the second back mm-hmm. and that's what we've seen numerous times this season and thankfully you know Tottenham had Harry Kane up front to you know Scott, an absolutely fantastic header from Clement Longley's cross. I think very similar to one in the North London derby against Arsenal. Yeah, a White Hart Lane a few years back. Brilliant, brilliant header. And, you know, that gave Tottenham a glimmer of hope and they did manage to get the second. In terms of Kane then, obviously you were at the stadium. I hear he was getting quite a bit of stick from Brentford fans. <laughs> yes. Yes. I mean, from Harry Kane's perspective... This is exactly what Spurs needed. You need Harry Kane in his first opportunity coming back to be able to score and try and put a lot of that out of his system. Um, Yeah, he was given a tough time. The Brentford fans were singing, essentially, you let your country down, um, which is what he's going to get, unfortunately. He knows that. He's going to get that now at every single ground, pretty much. Um, despite Antonio Conte saying afterwards that every fan of every opposition club should applaud him when he comes to their stadium, which is a lovely sentiment. Um, and I'm sure Antonio Conte knows deep down that the tribal nature of football means that's just not going to happen. Um, although, you know, I think it was you that reminded me about Saka when people were saying about when some Arsenal fans were giving it to Kane after the penalty missed that, oh, Spurs fans were were rubbish, they sing a song about Saka or something. And you reminded me that in the Mind Series game, um, Spurs fans actually applauded Saka. Um, was it at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium? I think it was, wasn't it? It sure was, yeah. Uh, yeah. August, I think it was 1-0. Uh, Sonny yeah. scored, I think. Yeah. yeah. So Saka got a round of applause there. Um, kind of, which So it does show that even if you're North London rivals, you can kind of put that aside. But I just feel like with Kane, and I think Conte kind of nailed it afterwards that there's a lot of fans that don't like him or fear him because he scored against their team. I mean, the goal against Brentford meant that Kane has now scored against every single one of the 32 clubs he's played against in the Premier League, which is a remarkable statistic. It really is. Um, and it did. He sh- I thought he had quite a quiet first half, but then that was also in keeping with Spurs. I thought Spurs were very quiet in the first half in terms of getting forward. So... I guess it's difficult to kind of pick him out individually in that respect. But yeah, I mean, Longley's cross was inch perfect. Thomas Frank admitted it afterwards. He says there's not really much you can do against a cross like that. He said it was so perfect. Kane had about two or three defenders around him. Um, but yet the cross was put on a plate for him. And then he jumped a bit like when you see those Ronaldo jumps, when he jumps ridiculously high did that, and the header itself then, every part of that move was executed brilliantly. The header was just like, 
top corner. Ray had no chance. Um, and yeah, sometimes I think when you score a goal like that, of that quality, you almost remind the whole team of what you're able to do. And it did. It kind of ignited them. It kicked them all on. And from that point onwards, because this is a weird thing, Conte's team talk, wherever he said at half time, didn't really do anything because they came out and conceded another goal. But actually, it was more that goal itself just changed the whole momentum of the game. And from that point, Brentford very rarely got out other than a very iffy attempt at winning a penalty. Although, like Thomas Frank said on that, he had no issues with the fact that that was a dive. I think it was Muemba. I think it was. I'm trying to remember who it was now. Um, what his, he felt was that if he'd actually stayed up and taken another touch, he'd been in a, a round forcer in and on goal. So they did have a dangerous moment. But other than that, Spurs pretty much contained them and it was all about them then having chances. And of course, uh, that led to the second goal, which was a very nice one as well. Yeah, Peter Malhoiberg again, you know. Again. <laughs> again, just right place, right time. And obviously, I think that was good play from Doherty and Kulisewski, uh down the right. And yeah, just fell kindly to Hoiberg. And just watching the goal, you thought it was Harry Kane finishing that just... Yeah. You know, just so calm and composed on the ball, good touch, and then just placed it nicely out of the reach of David Raya. And, you know, he's been doing it a number of times this season when Tottenham have needed uh, someone, you know, to contribute with a big goal. Hoiberg's done it time and time again. And, you know, full credit to him for getting into the right positions. I think central midfield's always been a position Tottenham have needed more goals from and they're getting that from Hybeg this season and it's not just the goals it's the assists as well and it's important ones as as well what's really helped the team uh, yeah so as I was saying earlier I think when you're two down and you manage to get one back there's always a good chance you're going to get the second and you know I think they were just unlucky that they couldn't get the third really because Harry Kane inches away from another Clement Longley cross yeah yeah, they, they they really controlled it second half. Um, had a lot more shots, more shots on target as well than Brentford, but they just couldn't find that way through. Hobbyhead's finish was superb. Touch and curling shot. It was like you say, it was something Harry Kane would have been proud of. I forgot to say it, Sean Harry Kane. 13 goals in 16 Premier League matches now. He's only four off Jimmy Greaves' 266 goals. It's just incredible how, you know, just his, his strike rate this season has been remarkable. And... Uh, yeah, Hoybier stepping up again. You know, how many times has he, Kane and Bentoncourt come up with big goals this season? You know, it's just ridiculous. Those three are really carrying the load, I feel. Um, and yeah, I mean, other attacking-wise, I'd say Kulisevsky had some really bright moments. He He looked quite determined to make up for lost time. I wouldn't say with the high expectations that come with what he does, I would say some of his decision-making in the final third wasn't as good as normal. Uh, that could be a rust thing, but I did feel that it was a couple of times he got into really good positions and then didn't use the ball as well as he normally would. Obviously, he set up Hoybier's goal, albeit with a kind of deflected low ball. Um, Sonny had a strange game. Sonny looked really bright and a threat and Brentford were clearly worried about him but he almost resorted to that thing we've well maybe me have always moaned about Lucas Moura for was that he was running and running and running at Brentford he would beat two men and you'd think ah oh, the old Sonny's back and then he'd kind of just run into a third person 
And it's like, if you just use that ball better with that final moments, but he, you'd taken one or two players out of the game and he kept going on these really nice surging runs, but then would just mess up what he did with it after that. Um, still not the Sunny we know right now. I mean, you look at that stats and you can't get away from it. He's only scored in one Premier League game this season and he's only scored in one Champions League game this season. You know, yes, of course, he scored three in one, was it two in the other? But for someone with the um, quality of Sonny to have, you know, Golden Boot winner last season, to have only scored in one game in each of those competitions, especially the Premier League, that, it's not good enough. And he knows it. I think he's well aware that he's playing below his level. He said that himself in interviews. Um, you know, we can look for reasons and people to blame and all that. But unfortunately, I think we're now at the stage where he's played in so many different lineups. He's played in so many different tactics this season. I think he's just going through a tough spell. I think it's just a thing only he can really get himself out of. You know, it could need the most ridiculous of goals, like a goal going in off his backside or something. Just any little moment to kind of kick him back. We thought the hat trick would do that and it didn't. Um, I think the most troubling thing as well is that Sonny, you can always rely on him not only to score a goal, but to provide an assist at least. If he's not, he's always pretty much doing one or the other when you look at his his stats across the season. And he's not doing either at the moment. Um, and I think, you know, if you had Richarlison on the bench, I would imagine that he'd be getting hooked from some of these matches. Um, you know, he'd maybe come off at like the 60, 70 minute mark because I think that was the key thing again in that Leicester game was that he didn't start it. He came on with an absolute burning anger to kind of almost show why he should be playing. And maybe that's also been an issue that he hasn't really had that competition uh, since then because of Richarlison's injury, because of Lucas' constant problem with this inflamed tendon as well um, and Brian Hill not really existing. So, you know, he's just like the invisible man on the bench. So... Yeah, and I can understand if I'm Conte, and I, and and you still think that Sonny could come up with something. You 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 know his past, his quality makes you think, well, he's going to do that. But unfortunately, he's just just played himself into a bit of a funk at the moment. It's just not going for him. Um, hopefully, you know, a new year, New Year's Day, a reset. Maybe it, it comes back, and and in the next podcast we'll be talking about Sonny scoring against Villa or having a very good performance. But yeah, at the moment. It's just not quite clicking. And it's weird because Spurs, the third top scorers in the Premier League. You know, we talk about how like, oh, you know, boring, boring Tottenham Hotspur or whatever like some of the pundits are saying and things like this. And the style of football at times, that hasn't been great. But the third top scorers in the Premier League, it's mad. And I'd say that's without the attackers really being on top form. Um, it's really weird. Even Kane, I'd say Kane has scored a hell of a lot of goals. But would I say that he's providing the same quality of performances that I think we saw a lot of last season from him in the second half especially? I don't think we have. I don't think he's been the creative playmaker force that we've seen him be. Um, but obviously he's still contributing. I think, like I say, Bentenko and Hoybier have been the almost the attacking stars of this season, which has been very weird. Uh, Kudusevsky obviously had his injuries, um, or his injury, um, Lucas has had his and Sonny not quite right so you do think this transfer window comes up that's an area I think you need to add to I think you need to bring in someone that can 
provide that little something that Conte trusts. I think that's the main thing. Someone that he trusts. And there's so few players he trusts. Yeah, it's been such a strange season uh, for Sonny. It's, it's clearly a, a lack of confidence in, in his game uh, at the moment. Uh, I mean, I agree what you're saying with Conte like leaving him on because you know there's, he can just produce a moment of magic. We saw that at the World Cup. I don't particularly think he had a good World Cup for career, but look what he did in the last minute against Portugal, ran from his own half yeah. and that yeah. fantastic pass to, uh, I think it was Huang, who plays for Wolves, who finished off uh, really, really well. And yeah, I mean, that hat-trick, I think everyone thought that was going to spark him into life and he had such a good September international break as well after that. I think he scored a couple for yeah. South Korea yeah, and he's, he's, he's just not happened for him. And yeah, yeah, uh, I think that is an area Tottenham need to look at in the transfer market. Uh, I think certainly for me, I'd be looking at a centre-back. But attack, especially given the injuries they've had this season, Kulisewski's had a spell out, Richarlison had a month out before the World Cup. He's going to be out for another three to four weeks. Son had a spell out, lack of form as well. Lucas, like Conte says, it's like they've not really had him this season. I think it was the opening weeks of the season and then a couple of weeks prior to the uh, World Cup where they had him. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's an area I'd be looking at, especially at the business end of the season. You need your attackers to be uh, firing on all, on all cylinders, as was the case last season with Kulisewski, Son and uh, Kane. So, yeah, I'd be certainly looking at that area as well. As we're yeah, now... Just, just to say the irony, as we're talking about Sonny, Spurs have at, at this moment have just put out a tweet saying, every Sonny goal in 2022, which was your favourite, <laughs> as we're talking about Sonny. And obviously the replies underneath are like, you know, what are these? Just from the first half of 2022 and stuff like that. It's just like really predictable replies. <clears throat> He'll come good, honestly. I think 2023. I just wonder whether the... I don't know, almost like the burden is a weird thing, but of being the golden boot winner, maybe he just felt an expectation as he went back to South Korea, like a huge summer of kind of being in the spotlight again with his, his uh, you know, in his homeland and the World Cup. Maybe, I don't know, maybe it was just a little bit too much for him and then he just needs to kind of, like I say, reset. Um, he'll come back. He'll come good. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Yeah, he'll definitely come good. Right, as we're now at the halfway stage of the show, Ali, do you want to talk to everyone about the benefits of using NordVPN? Yeah, of course. As you know, the Golden Guest Talk Tottenham podcast is sponsored by NordVPN. Uh, and you can use the service in a host of different ways to enhance your internet experience. If you're not aware, NordVPN is the fastest VPN in the world. And that means there's no buffering, no lagging, and you can stream your favorite shows from anywhere in the world without your bandwidth throttling. Um, obviously, I've used it many times myself, whether it be for work purposes, uh, when we've been abroad covering Spurs European matches, and sometimes you're at a stadium that has absolutely 
no replay screens, which is is more problematic than you might imagine. Uh, to be able to kind of hook up to BT and, and whatever showing the match back home, um, when for some reason I don't know what it is, but restrictions stop you from actually using something you've paid for when you're out and abroad. Um, and obviously use it for personal stuff as well, being able to watch uh, footy or TV shows or whatever from various streaming things I use or movies um, when I'm abroad. But also it has other aspects. It's, it provides a great safety. It uh, essentially padlocks all of your devices to stop people getting into them. Um, and not only that, the outlay on a Nord VPN subscription is cheaper for you in the long run. Um, that's because, let's say, for example, you can purchase streaming services or bookings from other countries at a much cheaper rate. Uh, for example, YouTube Premium is just 85p if you change your virtual location to Argentina. And booking flights from other countries can be cheaper as well. So it means you're paying out for Nord, but you're saving money overall. There's a whole host of other benefits from signing up to NordVPN, so why not give it a go? You can grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash gold guest to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan, plus four additional months for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. Brilliant. Right, let's discuss Antonio Conte's post-match comments after the 2-2 draw at Brentford. As I think they were certainly a talking point. Uh, amongst Tottenham fans after the game, you asked him if he needs, uh, if he feels he needs new defenders coming in in January. Uh, I think he made that perfectly clear. That I think he's happy with those, especially in central defence at the moment. Uh, I don't think all fans will agree with those comments. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, understatement of the 2022, just to finish the year, I think. Yeah, um, I put the, I put the kind of live in the press conference after he'd said it. Um, I put that out on Twitter. And honestly, the reaction was just like, <laughs> um, yeah, that I'd said something very, very, very bad. Um, he, yeah, it was an awkward one because... The way I phrased the question, I just said, look, you've tried so many different combinations in that back line. Uh, you even had a different goalkeeper today, obviously Hugo Lloris on the bench having just come back. And it's a bit like you've done all of that. You've had different players, different styles, different types of players in those positions, yet nine matches in a row you've conceded. And, you know, they've conceded far too many. I think their goals conceded is like other than one other team is the worst in the top eight or nine the amount of goals they've conceded. Um, and I kind of, so I said, like, you've tried everything. Is there a temptation within you, really, to maybe just look for another new defender to put into that mix? And he was quite clear. He's like, no. He says, at central defenders, I think we're good. Um, and, I mean, he did point to the fact, which is true, that Romero was returning to training the next day on the 27th. Um, so will be uh, available for Aston Villa. And yes, he'll make a difference. And I'd hope, because I don't think Romero was particularly great uh, before the World Cup. You know, he looked like a player, obviously didn't have him for injury for the last few weeks, but even before that, in between his injuries, he looked a little bit like he wasn't quite the Romero of last season. I do think as the World Cup went on, he got better and better and better. Um, and hopefully, you know, he's going to come back with incredible confidence uh, being a world champion, um, it's, uh, only is he still twenty three. Is he turned twenty four? I think he's still. T- oh, can't remember now. Either he's twenty three or twenty. He's a young defender. <laughs> that's what we <we'll> say. <laughs> um, 
So either way, he's you know he's achieved the pinnacle of international football already. Uh, so yeah, he's going to come back in a good way, I think. Um, you can't tell that I'm looking up his age because I don't want to be wrong here. He is 24. Yeah, so in April he turned 24. Um, and I think, yes, when you have his first cho- choice lineup, whether that be Romero, Dyer, and Davies or Romero, Dyer, and Longley, I do think that that's a very decent back three. Uh, it is still one that can make mistakes. And I don't, in my mind, I think Jaffet Tanganga you put out at least on loan in the winter. I mean, he desperately needs a season of full football or at least a half season. You know, we'll say it a million times, but we've seen what happened with Oliver Skip when he got a full season of football and the incredible development he made. And I think Jaffet Tanganga gets a lot of stick, including, you know, in in this podcast today. But it comes from being thrown into situations with great irregularity. You know, he's he's being put in there. A lot, you know, a lot of it is down to injuries. He's had injury problems, like Romero has. Tanganga's had his injury problems. It has not helped him. I just think he needs to go away somewhere, whether it's abroad to somewhere like the Bundesliga or France, or, or obviously AC Milan have been interested in him in Italy, uh, or whether it's to a, a Premier League team. I'd even say a, a high championship team just to get week-in, week-out starts, I think you'd see a different Tanganga. I'd even go as far to say I'd, I'd hope they wouldn't sell him, that if that it would be a loan, because I do think it could be a huge change for him. I think he's got all the uh, foundations to be a top, top defender, but he's a guy that's had so little match experience when you actually look across his young career. Um so in my mind, you loan Tanganga out and that gives you that space within the squad to um, to bring in another good centre-back. Yes, of course, January, the options are slimmer. Um, you know, I think the dreams of, of getting a Bastoni in become, is very, very difficult mid-season. Um, and there's other elements to it because obviously, like I say, people got very, very annoyed when Conte said that. They were like, what? <laughs> Where have you got the, the no, we don't need defender? Um, there's there's different ways of looking at this. First off is that he doesn't want to demoralise the players he's got by saying, yes, they're rubbish, we need a new one, which is understandable. The second one is you don't want to alert clubs to putting up their prices because everyone knows Tottenham need a centre uh, defender, um, although other clubs do it. You know, Man U have quite clearly said, we need a new striker to replace Ronaldo, so maybe they just don't care, don't know. Um, and the third aspect is maybe... And I think we said this way back when he signed that with the short-term nature of Clement Longley's deal being a loan move, perhaps there's always been this thought that Longley comes in for the season, they revisit it at the end of the season, whether it is something they then try to strike a permanent deal for. But if not, maybe Longley was the temporary um, placeholder, as you were, for uh, a Bastoni move. Or a, or a similar quality top, top, top defender. Um, hopefully, in Longley's case, he just you know c- continues to improve and, and becomes a player that sticks around. Um, certainly, I think is another option if he's on a cheap deal. I, I do think you go for him. Um, but maybe that's what it is. Maybe the thinking is, no, we don't look at centre-back right now, or Conte's thinking might be, and that we look at, um, at the end of the season. But from everything I understand that, within Spurs, if 
they were to find or get a centre back that would be an upgrade on what he has right now, they would leap at it, and so would Conte. Um, so yeah, yeah, we'll see what happens in that department. But I mean, t- to suggest that defence doesn't need an upgrade in any position, yeah, it's just not the case. <laughs> I can understand why why he said it, and like you said, it's probably just not to, you know, demoralise those current defenders at, at the club. Uh, well, do but... they need to kick up the backside? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you could say that as well. Uh, but I mean, they certainly need an upgrade. They're conceding way too many goals. And, you know, it's not just against the top clubs. Three against Leeds, two against Bournemouth. They're just giving yeah. themselves an uphill task in games. And they're lucky. They've been lucky to get away with it with Hoiberg, Bentenker and Kane delivering goals. Tottenham have, obviously, goals in the team, in the forward line, some great players. <laughs> But you've got to make life a bit easier for them at times and not be too reliant on them scoring two or three every game to get you out of jail. I think there certainly needs to be an upgrade in defence. I think January is such a, a tough market. Uh, obviously, if you want the top, top player, you're going to have to pay big, big money. So that's something we're going to have to wait and see what happens in January. But for me, if you're having a look at a priority list in January, I'd be looking at a centre-back first and foremost. I think they probably need a, a new right wing-back, depending on what happens in terms of outgoings with three players already at the club. They need an alternative to Kulaseski because they cannot go through that 10-game spell again without him and just be yeah. struggling in the final third. But for me, sort your back line out, first of all. Need to be more solid than just conceding too many goals and a lot of them are just cheap goals. They're just easy goals they're conceding as well. It's just basics. Yeah. What's really weird as well is in the transfer market is that all the links that keep coming kind of from Italy are for similar players to what they have in the midfield, which is what I don't... And I understand that these are players that Paratici and in some cases Conte loves. So Weston McKenney, you know, we know that Conte... Uh, sorry, Paratici adores him and would have him in a heartbeat at Spurs. Frank Kessie, obviously, Spurs long linked with him and Paratic, she's a big fan of his as well. Uh, Amrabat, who we still have a really good World Cup, which, you know, we should always stress, a World Cup does not make a top Premier League player. It never, ever has. Uh, but that's not to say he wouldn't succeed, but we, you cannot judge it purely on that. And I just find it strange that I would say that's the one area where Conte has a ridiculous amount of players. You know, he's got Hobie, he's got Benton Kerr, he's got Basuma, who's only going to get better and better. I felt Basuma the week um, on Boxing Day was first half was a bit um, nervy almost and out of sorts. Second half, I thought he really came on, really um, was very confident on the ball, lots of pirouettes, using it well. It was a bit Benton like in some of the things he did. Hoybier, very much similar. First half, honestly, it looked like his shoelaces were tied together at some points early on. He was really, really clumsy. Um, but then you've got Skippy as well. And Skippy, give him a run of games. Um, and I think you'll see him only improve as well. So I do find those links odd. I'd, I personally, uh, and this is what I've always been told, there, there was a uh, being looking for a, a more attacking midfielder, someone that could also play up front or sit deep if need to be. Uh, say up front, I mean more kind of a number 10 winger slash kind of player. Um, 
But in terms of signing another player, you'd probably consider either a box-to-box or defensive midfielder even. I just find those links really odd. It kind of smacks to me of players that Paratici or Conte love and they just want at the club. Whatever, regardless of what it means. I mean, can you imagine if Basuma gets pushed down the pecking order even more, having signed one of the best Premier League midfielders in the summer uh, and Spurs have somehow managed to turn him... <laughs> I'm going to say rubbish because he hasn't been rubbish, but have absolutely nullified everything that was good about Is Basuma for Brighton and then bring in another player who would be likely to then play ahead of him. Uh, that would be just classic Tottenham. Collecting people in the in the one area, maybe because they're available on a good deal or something like that. It's just like there's so many other priorities for me uh, right now. But yeah. So Conte's other comments that obviously we need to talk about because they're the ones that I think have really enraged the fan base, uh, not with him, but more with the fact that overall, um, obviously you were in the press conference, I wasn't there uh, pre-match. Tell us exactly what he said about policies is the way to put it. The policy of Tottenham Hotspur and the transfer window ahead. Yeah, I I won't read the full Quote out, I'll read parts of it, but basically saying uh, it'll speak to obviously sporting director and about the situation and give advice to the club to try to improve the team, improve the quality in the squad. And then he said, I think if there is an opportunity to strengthen the, the squad, we will do something, you know, which is our policy. You know very well which is our policy. We will try to follow this policy and to improve the team. If there is the possibility to strengthen the squad, we will do it. Otherwise, we'll continue with these players and I'm happy with them. Then he was asked about the policy and what exactly does he mean. He said, you know about the signing, signing players and about young players, about players with not big salaries and this. We have to sign players that they can stay in our vision, in the vision of the club. So, yeah, didn't exactly uh, go down well with some and we've seen it from Tottenham since Paratici's come in and quite a few of the windows, you know, Pape Matasar will fall into this category of Brian Hill as well. We've not really Wait, who are these players? seen them. <laughs> Brian I've Hill, heard the name. <laughs> the, the young Spanish uh, fellow on the bench who very rarely gets a game. Uh, and Pape Matasar. He was that guy that played quite well at the World Cup and that was quite bright. I remember him. Yeah. And to be fair to him, he did quite well against Nice in the friendly when he came on and Conte did say he uh, very much liked him. But these are the players we've not really gone to see given an opportunity uh, under Conte in the starting 11. I think he wants players that, that are ready-made to go into the squad to instantly improve them, as was the case back in January with Rodrigo Bentenker and Dane Kulisewski coming in. But I think if you've got a manager like Antonio Conte, at the helm, you need to keep him happy and you're not going to keep him happy by signing these up-and-coming youngsters who aren't going to play and need developing. You need players that are ready-made, that can come in, make an impression and, you know, help Tottenham's level go up uh, another couple of levels and help them, you know, achieve the silverware they're crying out for. So January's going to be very, very interesting. We've seen it before, Conte at clubs where... You know, they're not giving him what he wants in the summer market or the January market. He's not afraid to voice his opinion. And, you know, the start of February, that first press conference could be quite interesting, depending on what happens in the January market. 
it's <laughs> it is a sigh before I've even started to talk about this. I just find it so bewildering. I mean, I don't think what helped uh, was that he said similarish quotes to Sky. I think it must have been after the game, and they were put out on Sunday morning. Oh, sorry, not Sunday morning. The twenty seventh. I think they went out on the morning, or, or certainly they were tweeted out there. Honestly, social media. My goodness. I know it's not always the best barometer, but wow, it was. It was like it was just like on fire. It was just uh, toxic, whatever you want to call it. Wow, um, every everyone that has got an issue with Daniel Levy, Enoch, the board, the hierarchy, whatever you want to call them, wow, they were out there, and uh, it's very hard to disagree with complaints about those above. When it's the same scenario we're banging on and on about. I mean, Carl, you and I have been doing these podcasts. The podcast came back a while back. I think we've been moaning about this kind of situation and the way that the club seem to have gone with Conte since not even when he first signed, but before that, when he was being spoken to before Nuno came in. It was so clear then. Right, we're going to try to set this out as simply as possible. So Spurs, I think a lot of the success pre the managerial changes of recent years uh, came because they were trying to almost adopt a Borussia Dortmund model. Young players, DNA, whatever this kind of catch was or they, they, they use, a DNA of having young players come through the system, but also signing young players. And then you have a very talented, young, progressive coach that moulds them into uh, a team that actually can fight with the big boys because of the spirit, because of you bring in players who can absolutely be stars. They've just got to be made that way. So it works fantastically at Dortmund and obviously constant Champions League team, constantly producing superstars. I'd say with Dortmund, probably more so than Spurs, they do have to sell their big stars. That was definitely a thing for Spurs. I wouldn't say it is as, as much anymore. Um, so, okay, that's fine. Worked under Pochettino. Absolutely, it really did. We all, as reporters and fans, whatever, had some amazing moments. Champions League final, uh, Spurs finishing second in the Premier League, finishing third three years in a row. There's no silverware. There wasn't. You know, you can't gloss over the fact there was no silverware. They would fall at the final hurdle. But I think because it was a young team, because of the way it was being built, I think... I'd go as far to say that the fans identified with it. You know, they had more of a connection. I'd say probably a couple of those, and I hate just bringing back Pochettino. It's not just about Pochettino. I think it's about the whole kind of era and the ethos then. It was very much, I don't think the fans have ever been as close to the club as they were during that time. I think everyone was really together. There were gripes about transfers. Of course, there were the ridiculous transfer windows where no one was signed. So that's fine. That's what you want your club to be. That's what you want your club to be. Okay. But then, if you're then going to decide, or, well, to be fair, they keep telling everyone, oh, we're building a stadium that's going to be a game changer. The money's going to roll in. So, okay, all right. Well, we'll accept that these tougher years when we don't sign players in a transfer window. Okay, that's absolutely fine because we know what's going to come. So that's one element. Then the next element is you look at what you've got with Pochettino or any other young progressive coach that comes along, plays nice football, all of that. 
and you decide, oh, do you know what? Maybe we could just get trophies if we get some big managers that like win lots of trophies. Okay, all right. Okay, we, we see what you've done there. We, we get it. One trophy in 20-plus years is rubbish. You're trying to change that. Okay. Oh, no, wait a minute. You're bringing in these top coaches who are known for a very different style of football club, run in a very different way. Oh, no, you're just trying to squeeze them into your way of working. It doesn't work. It didn't work with Mourinho. Mourinho had come from clubs where he was able to say, I want that player. The club would go out, buy that player, it fit his system, and he was able to do great things. Same with, well, Nuno, unfortunately, we're going to have to gloss over. (laughs) (laughs) Nuno, I think, was an attempt to try and go back to something like that. But, yeah, it didn't work. So we won't go to the ins and outs of that one. But Conte, absolutely. The moment they were speaking to him ahead of Nuno, we were saying, that's great. But he's a man who, like you've just said, needs ready-made players. He needs finance. He needs stars to come in as well. I'm not saying he's not a great coach, because I do think he is. and I do think he can improve young players, despite the fact that sometimes he can't see them. Um, but you can't keep acting like the club from a different model with a manager who does not fit into that model whatsoever. It doesn't work. It's amateurish. It's bizarre. I don't understand the thinking behind the powers that be that think, okay, we're just going to continue down this road. Um, And the fact that he's coming out and saying, oh, no, we're sticking to our transfer policy of that. It's like, okay, so you're almost admitting that this is a temporary thing with Conte. Because, yes, I know Conte said in the past, oh, if like Jurgen Klopp, I was promised that I could be at a club for seven years and then I'd be winning lots of trophies. It's a lovely thing to say. I don't believe it. I don't believe that Antonio Conte, if he's told for for next season as well, we're going to crack on with this signing young players who could maybe be stars if you can make them. I think he'll, he'll be gone. Because he doesn't work in that way. He doesn't work with young players like that. He doesn't, he doesn't, I don't, this this is massively me paraphrasing, or not paraphrasing, trying to jump into the mind of someone and, and guessing what they're thinking. But I don't get the sense that he, let's say Pochettino, or a Graham Potter, or anyone like that, or Ruben Amarin at Sporting was another good example. I don't think Conte gets the same joy that they do from developing and bringing through a young player uh, at all. You know, he pretty much, I, I know that's his thinking, that he doesn't feel that it's his job to develop young players. He feels that's the academy's job to develop them to be ready for him, not the other way around. Um, so oh, it's so far. And it's the thing that frustrates me the most about Tottenham Hotspur. And it's the thing that absolutely people can have frustrations and qualms about. Because if you're going to constantly get a hammer and try to smash a square peg into a round hole, all you're going to do is break your whatever. <laughs> whatever the set is that's got the hole and the pegs in, we'll call it Tottenham Hotspur right now. You're going to end up breaking it because it, it's just not the same. It doesn't work. It's mind-boggling. Um, and that's not to say, with pushing all of that to one side, that's not to say the system can't work if you absolutely nail it. And we saw that in January last year. They did go for younger players at good prices. I mean, what? Kudusevsky was two and a half million, I think, for his loan fee for that rest of that last season. Uh, Benton Kerr was about 16, 17 million. It can rise to more. 
So essentially, they've spent about 19 million there on two players that absolutely changed their season. So it can work, and they're probably going to look at that and think, well, we got it right last time. But I would say that that was an exception to the rule. I think it's more difficult. For every one of those, you sign a Jed Spence, who's very talented and now exists on the periphery of your vision somewhere um, and clearly probably needs to get a loan if he's not going to be part of Conte's plans. Um, And Brian Hill and Pape Matassar. Uh, they just sit there, poor old Harvey White, you know, he can come on and be shoved into a position he's never played in his life, play really well, and he is just, a, you know, a ghost sitting there that Conte sees through when he looks through on the bench. Um, but yeah, but I've got no issues with Conte whatsoever. I think Conte's a terrific coach and one of the best managers in the world. Um, as a journalist, he's fascinating to cover because you don't know what he's going to say next, which is is very exciting for a journalist. However, Tottenham Hotspur continuing to plod along this same road it's been on for a long time without changing anything to act like a big club, cannot have a big club manager or or keep a big club manager. You've got to decide, what are you, Tottenham Hotspur? Are you that Borussia Dortmund-style club, which has a Pochettino type, has a young coach that maybe you take a chance on that can become and grow with the club and then it becomes something else? Or are you a Conte Mourinho club that's ready to spend big money and start challenging. I would say both paths will get you eventually there, uh, one quicker than the other, but you can't try to mangle the two together because ultimately I just think it's going to end in pain. Um, so sorry for that. That was a bit of a rant. It went on way longer than I expected to, but Guesty, I mean you, you take over. What do, what's your <laughs> thinking on all this? Obviously the club policy about signing young players, not big salaries. I wouldn't necessarily necessarily say that's been the case in Conte's two transfer windows so far. Look, Benson Kerr and Kulisewski in January raised the level, helped Tottenham get Champions League football. Uh, last summer, seven additions. Yeah, Jed Spence, one for the future. Uh, Conte made it clear, bit of a, a club signing. Destiny uh, Udogi as well, one for the future. Yes. But then you brought in the experience of Fraser Forster, even Perisic what the club needed. Longley's got bags of experience. He spent £60 million on Richarlison. That's the one. I was waiting for you to say that because he is the one that does kind of disprove it a little bit. Yeah. I, I absolutely give you that. Yeah, £30 million on Eve Basuma. And now go back go back to April and May. Look at Tottenham. I'll give squad. you one question though. Very go quickly on. before you move on from that. Basuma, would they have signed him if he was full price and not in the last year of his contract? Maybe not. I don't know. I don't That's know. I mean, but Richarlison, absolutely, you're spot on. I think. With yeah, him. yeah. But what what I was saying? Go back to April and May. Have a look at Tottenham's bench. What was there? Four or five academy players on there. Yeah. Conte could only turn to a couple of you know regular first team experienced players to come on and try and make an impact. So the summer was always about you know the quantity boosting Tottenham squad, making sure they've got nine quality options on the bench. And the bench does look quite impressive now when everyone's fit. I mean, it's not always been the case this season given so many attacking injuries. So this January, I think this is the vital one for Conte. This is the one where you add the quality now. We've had the quantity. Can you do that on the cheap? (laughs) 
not really. You're going to really, really struggle. I think it's really, really going to find it hard to top. The Benton Kerr and Kulosevsky deals really are going to struggle. But, you know, Paratici's managed to, you know, find some diamonds in the transfer market before and he wouldn't put it past him again. But January's always a tough money for spending big, big money. Clubs want serious money if they're going to part with the best players. So, yeah, over to the club now. But I think this, this one's vital. They need to find some more quality to improve the squad. Yeah. The only thing I should say is a caveat as well against my little... The, the the thing I always say about Conte and young players, and people do point this out, and this is fair, is that you could argue that Christian Romero was a young player that he was using. But then I'd probably caveat that, the fact of if you're a player that the club's about to spend, what, about 50 million in total on, that he probably is going to play. Um, Emerson Real, the people's favourite, the people's champion, was... Um, is not the oldest of players either. I'd say Ryan Sessegnon he's been using. So there are some, but I don't. I do think there are the exceptions to the rule. I think if you ask Conte, would you like this really talented 22, 23 year old to come in, or would you like this 33 year old that you've used before at another club and you know can play? I don't think there's any way that he would turn towards a young player. And yes. I am talking about someone like Ivan Perisic. So, and Ivan Perisic has been a big success, I think. So it's not to say it's wrong. It's just very different ways of looking at it. And I'm I'm fascinated to see what happens in January. I don't think January will be as bad at all as people are thinking it's going to be. I think it's one of those where some quotes have probably riled up people, myself included, uh, before anything's actually happened. Um they definitely want to get at least two players in. Just can they please be two players that Conte will use? <laughs> because if they're not, it's absolutely pointless. And if you are going to, let's say, decide that you need another right wing back, please let Jim Spence go on loan and actually become the player that he can be um, and then come back next summer and, and show what he's done. Um, yeah, it's going to be an interesting window. Please stop linking us with uh, linking Tottenham with players that they've already been um, well stocked on. Uh, you know, Kessie's, Kessie's a very good player. He is. Don't get me wrong. But does he... I don't know. I mean, if he comes in, do you just does that mean you just loan out Oliver Skip? It's just like, what a waste of time kind of thing. I, I don't understand it. Um, you know, if he was a goal-scoring midfielder that was creative and all that, I'd get it. But he's kind of not. He's more of a box-to-box type player, probably less focused on the goals. Um, I don't get it. But I'm not the man at the top of Tottenham Hotspur, or at least even Fabio Paratici. So we shall see what they bring. Right. Shall we try and lift the mood a little and discuss <laughs> uh, the, the New Year's Day game against Aston Villa? Or what Tottenham yeah, will well, be doing in the second half? The mood. Yeah, uh, tough game. Villa, I know they lost the other day against Liverpool, but I think they won the first couple under Unai Emery after, obviously, Steven Gerrard was sacked earlier in the season with, you know, Villa tumbling down the league table. Going to be a, a tough, tough game. It certainly won't be as it was in April where Tottenham won 4-0 at Villa Park. What can we expect from Tottenham? New year, new Tottenham? Oh, please. That would be awesome. <laughs> if they could score first, if they could just score first, Spurs, the whole mood in the stadium, I think, would change. 
if they concede first, that stadium, as used the word earlier, is going to be toxic. It is going to turn. It's going to be a unpleasant atmosphere, I think. There's going to be our old favourite, the booze at halftime. Um, God, I've missed those. Um, they just need to score first. Like I say, even if it comes off Sonny's backside and goes in the goal, breaks that annoying run, then I think suddenly, psychologically, everything lifts. Um, yeah, like you say, I mean, although that game against Gerrard's like first half was Villa were actually quite good, weren't they? And the noise levels are superb. And Spurs again just changed, turned it around. Um, it won't be easy, but it is a game that Spurs should win. They're at home. They really should be winning that game. Um, and I'd even say that they need to put on a performance. I think they need to go out there and dominate and score some goals, show a crowd of, it's a sellout, you know, show a crowd of 60,000 plus that, yeah, everything you've been thinking, that's not the case. No, honestly, we'll play good football, we'll score lots of goals, um, and this is how we're going to start 2023. Because they do. They need to get some momentum going. Because as you said earlier, all the teams around them last night were winning. Uh, sorry, last night. In the last couple of days have been winning. They've all started to close that gap. That little kind of, oh, well, they can muck this up because there's still a little points cushion to those outside the top four. It, it's it's rapidly declining and, and, and decreasing. So, yeah, they need to start getting points on the board, uh, three points on the board. And, and get a run going because there's some tough games coming up. You know, we've got Palace, uh, Arsenal, Man City as well, both on the horizon. You need to make sure you've got momentum going into those games. Otherwise, you know, we could get to February, ally that with a rubbish transfer window. It's not saying that's going to happen, but if that were to happen and some bad results, my goodness, February's going to look awful. <laughs> we're going to have a nightmare, you and I, writing and talking about stuff. So, yeah, can we please start with a win? That'd be really great. Yeah, and I think first game in February is Man City at home as well. So, yeah, Helen Haaland uh, might have a a good day in front of goal. Uh, so, yeah, just just want a positive start to the year, really. Just Tottenham to find some consistency. As what they did, you know, from March onwards, uh, earlier in the season to get that top four finish, just can't keep going two goals behind against clubs because you know it's not always going to be the case where the icons have managed to come back in games and either get a point or get a win need to find that consistency the ones who finish in the top four so some good clubs there picking up wins at the moment building that momentum and Tottenham just need to get back on track starting against Aston Villa tough tough game Villa looked much better under Emery he's a good manager but on home soil full house on paper, you would expect Tottenham to win. So looking back on 2022, as this is our last podcast of the year, what have been your Tottenham highlights then, Ali? <laughs> um, <laughs> feels weird to be talking about highlights, isn't it, after ranting? Um, definitely the end of last season. There's some really good games. That North London derby, obviously, was a very good one. Um, just the way Spurs just kind of galvanised and really Benton Kulisewski came to the fore. Sonny was absolutely on fire, winning the golden boot. The end of the season was fantastic. Um, and I'd say on a personal level, the South Korea tour was incredible. 
It's part uh, a country that I'd never been to before. Going out there and meeting, honestly, so many wonderful people out there, seeing the passion that they have, not only for Sonny, obviously a lot for Sonny, but also for the club was incredible. Uh, totally different culture. That was, yeah, that was special. That for me was a real highlight. It's up there with my favourite kind of Spurs uh, trips that I've been on. Um, yeah, I'd say those two. I'd say this season, not so many highlights <laughs> thus far. But hopefully when we do this in a year's time, we'll be talking about how the first half of 2023 started to turn everything back around again. Yeah, I think for me, the standout games, what I enjoyed covering Leicester away was just absolutely incredible. I mean, it was that a good game anyway up until, you know, last few seconds and Steven Bergwijn scored that double. Man City away, absolutely incredible as yes. as well. Just a such away, a good though, performance. Had some really good ones. Uh, and then I think this season, just the return of Champions League football, just the Champions yeah. League anthem at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Yeah, Again, Marseille away, those final moments were very good as well. Yeah, so there have been a number of good moments across 2022. And then personal level, you'd probably agree with this one as well. Playing at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, yeah. that was just great. And obviously to score the greatest goal <laughs> Tottenham Hotspur Stadium's ever seen. I actually yeah. forgot. It's because uh, of my miss. I try and forget it. <laughs> I know you scored a beautiful lob, so it's always in the forefront of your mind. Oh, I hope we get to do that again at the end of this season. I need to, a bit like Harry Kane on a far lower level, I need to exercise some demons. <laughs> yeah, so I think 2022, a number of high points, some lows as well, just hopefully 2023, a bit more consistency. Good runs in the cup, obviously Champions League, uh, around the 16 tie against uh, AC Milan coming up. Portsmouth first round of the FA Cup for Tottenham. Uh, a, a cup run would be absolutely fantastic this season. Tottenham crying out for a trophy. And as I was saying earlier, just a bit of consistency, really. 2023 you know, can be a good year for Tottenham and hopefully it will be. Yeah, Milan as well. Milan on the horizon. We mustn't forget about that. No. Right, I think we'll leave that there for the latest episode of Gold and Guest Tot Tottenham. I uh, hope you all have a happy new year and as ever, just keep with us at football.london for all your latest Tottenham news. Grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash gold guest to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus four additional months for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee.